0: G'day. You're listening to The Misadventures of Beau Hogarth and the Brilliant Blue Eyed Woman. My name's Vic com. Chapter 3 Power to the Purple. Enjoy. It was a magnificent New York summer's day. A crystal clear sky displayed a thin streak of cirrus cloud sitting frozen like a slender white swipe across an artist's sky blue canvas. Pulling up outside my ex-ex-wife's apartment block, I scanned the area for any suspicious looking people. Unfortunately, they all looked suspicious and probably thought the same of me as I walked warily up the steps and rang the building's archaic door buzzer. A voice asked who it was. ''It's me,'' I replied impatiently. ''Who's me?'' demanded my ex-ex-wife. ''You're you,'' I answered. ''I know I'm me, but who are you?'' ''It's Beau. I need a favour. ''Jesus, Boris, what have you done this time?'' The security door buzzer did its usual impersonation of a dying blowfly circling the inside of an empty soup tin. I shoved the door open and climbed the stairs to apartment 69. On my arrival I saw the apartment door was wide open and Tony, now known as Tony since the nip and tack operation, was sitting on a bar stool at the kitchen bench enjoying a can of beer with Melissa, the woman she'd left me for. And I didn't blame her, I mean him, not one little bit. I did, however, blame God for not making Melissa attracted to me instead. She was a petite, curvaceous young woman with short black hair and smooth, pearly white legs that ran all the way up to her neck. Her eyes were a piercing Polish blue that hit you like two amphetamine-fueled hammers, and her comfortable ability to be simultaneously sweet and confident caused intermittent throbs of electrical energy to pulse in places best left alone until alone. Melissa smiled a friendly smile, tilting her head to one side. My eyes took control and threw themselves at the top of her ample cleavage, which bloomed from her short floral dress. The ex-ex-wife, on the other hand, was now one of the boys, a large woman or ex-woman still displaying high cheekbones and angular facial features, but now they were covered in whiskers. Tony was wearing a dusty blue muscle shirt, grubby work shorts and boots. She'd never been a thin woman, but as a man he was downright muscular, with a pair of solid hairy legs you'd find on any building site around the world. Maybe, I pondered, if I went to a lesbian bar and told them I used to be a woman, I could find myself a little beauty like Melissa. But first I had business to deal with. Yeah, g'day guys, how they hangin'? I blurted uncomfortably. The only thing hangin' round here is you, Tony joked, throwing Melissa a wink. And what the hell's that aftershave you've got on, old lice? Melissa bowed her head and giggled. (laughs) They turned the water off at the office, I answered defensively. I haven't been able to wash for a few days. Days? Tony scoffed. Okay, a fair few days, maybe a month. You're more than welcome to have a shower here, Beau, Melissa offered. Yeah, sure. Have a shower. You know where the towels are, but leave them in the tub when you're done. We'll burn them after you leave. Thanks, guys. Can I borrow a shirt and shorts? I asked, grabbing a muscle shirt and some boxes from a pile of folded clothes on the sofa. Mine are both well and truly past their expiration date. And hey, do you still have that pistol I gave you when I moved out? Don't tell me you're finally going to put your shorts out of their misery, Boris. Very funny, Tony. And stop calling me Boris, I pleaded, heading down the hallway to the bathroom. As is the norm when having a shower, I soaped up thoroughly just in time for my cell phone to ring. Throwing a towel over it, I answered the call. Hello, Barry Harrison speaking. Barry Harrison was a name I used in case it was a company I owed money to, or in case it was someone who wanted to incinerate me on an exploding plane. You know who I am, but don't mention my name, said the voice of Lewis Staines. I must apologise for the little event at the airport earlier. I can explain, but not on your phone. Great, I declared. Maybe we can meet in a dark alley at midnight, next to an explosives warehouse. I understand your anger and suspicion, Mr. Uh, Harrison. But please, you don't have time. Wherever you are, leave right now. And if you want to live, discard your cell phone immediately. Your life depends on it. The phone went dead and in a desperate attempt not to follow suit, I opened the bathroom window and threw my phone as far as I could. Unfortunately it landed on the back of a passing truck full of propane bottles. Don't panic. Everything's gonna be all right. I stammered, pulling on Tony's shorts and muscle shirt, leaping into my old suit pants and shirt, and running to the kitchen. Where is it? I yelled, desperately rifling through the drawers in search of my old pistol, somehow wondering if I'd be gunning through the drawers if I was searching for a rifle. Tony and Melissa watched in silence, looking at each other and back at me, seemingly entertained by my distress. Where's my fucking pistol? What's the matter? Joked Tony. Are your shorts trying to escape? You don't understand. There's something wrong with my phone, so I threw it on the back of a truck, and now I need my revolver. Don't you usually get your phones off the back of a truck, Boris? My revolver? Where the fuck is it? Don't get your panties in a pretzel. The gun's in the freezer, behind the ice cubes. I ripped the freezer Door open, grabbed the frozen snubnose 38 special, a box of frosty hollow point bullets, and the bottle of scotch that Tony kept there for special occasions. Hey! Tony called out angrily as I bolted for the apartment door. Not my whiskey, Boris! It's a special occasion, Tone! But don't worry, I'll left you a present! It's a bit late for romance, sweetheart! Tony yelled as I ran out the door. And by the way, Boris, when you don't bring my shorts back, make sure you're in them! Racing down the stairs, I quickly buttoned my shirt and burst through the doors to witness the same bald and red-headed suits running from my borrowed Corvette. They jumped into a brown Ford sedan and burned rubber in search of what I guessed to be a truck full of propane bottles, now waiting at an intersection only 90 feet away and indicating its intention to turn right. Hurrying past the red Corvette, I made my way to Tony's bright orange VW Type 2 microbus, known in Germany and Australia as a combi. It was covered with huge murals of Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, Jimmy Buffett and Janis Joplin. It also had a parrot-coloured shark fin on the roof and a full-size bed in the back. I opened the driver's door with the key I'd secretly grabbed from Tony's apartment. Tone's not going to be happy about this, I heard myself mumble, hoping the substantial stash of cash I'd left in the freezer would prevent him from calling the police. I'd left him almost ten grand and the combi bus was only worth about four grand and not counting any emotional value, of course, which I hoped would now be minimal due to Tony's regular testosterone shots. Leaping into the vehicle, I noticed a messy clump on the passenger seat. It contained two pairs of big, round 1970s sunglasses, two long, curly hippie wigs, two big, bushy beards, and two purple caftan robes. Thank God for costume parties, I thought, climbing into the clump and instantly turning myself into a hippie. As I turned the ignition key, the flatulent rumble of the VW engine blurted to life and we farted off up the one-way street, toward the truck and the two savage suits. By the time I could see them clearly, I was stuck in traffic. Baldy had the blubbering truck driver pinned face down on the road, his foot pressing hard against the trucker's head. Where the fuck is he? Baldy screamed repeatedly. Red's handheld device beeped like crazy as he cautiously followed his gun around the propane bottles in search of the invisible cell phone man. Trapped in a slow procession of other curious cars, and with nerves of steel, I rolled directly past the incident in progress. The snarling, evil-eyed Baldy turned and looked directly into my Alton-esque sunglasses, and my nerves of steel instantly turned to aluminum foil. Luckily, I was unrecognisable. I'd morphed into a bearded, curly-headed, caftan-wearing hippie, driving an orange, mural-covered combi bus. The traffic unclogged and I moved away just as two wailing cop cars arrived at the scene, skidding sideways and screeching to a halt alongside the truck. Looking into my rear-view mirror, I observed four uniformed police jump out of their vehicles, pistols drawn and shouting directives. The two suits waved some identification at the cops, who immediately holstered their pistols and walked out from behind their vehicles. Red and Baldy must be special agents, I thought. Either that or they're with the IRS. As they disappeared from my rearview mirror, I felt an even stronger need for pharmaceutical relaxation. It was at this point, for the very first time in my life, I started to believe I might have a serious drug problem. I rummaged through the luggage, and two minutes later, it looked like my drug problem was worse than I'd imagined. I didn't have any. Damn it! I swore I'd pack them. I searched my hand luggage again as well as under the seats, in my pockets, in the ashtray, behind the sun visors, in the glove compartment. And then I searched them all again. It was obvious there were no tranquilizers in my hand luggage, under the seats, in my pockets, in the ashtray, behind the sun visors or in the glove compartment. So I searched them all again and another four times just for luck. Luckily luck found me. Unfortunately it was all bad. As I contemplated swallowing the dials off the car radio, my nervously rummaging hand slid inside a caftan pocket, falling upon two plastic packets of purple tic-tacs named Strawberry Fields. Candy wasn't going to relax me, but I was desperate enough to try anything. Turning the corner, I washed down some of the purple pills with a liquefied lump of Tony's relaxing whiskey, just managing to avoid a head-on collision with a yellow cab. I shoved one of the candy containers inside my suit pants pocket underneath the caftan and threw the other container into the glove compartment. It was time to focus on getting more cash and on watching the road so I didn't relax into an oncoming bus. After driving west for 5 or 10 minutes, I found a payphone situated outside my brand of bank. I'd now try and contact the man I decided to christen Stain Man. myself out of the warm combi like a river of molten milk chocolate on a balmy day, I walked unsteadily towards the curiously sparkling payphone. It started ringing, so I picked up the handset, involuntarily burping into it. Hello, is that you? said the familiar and anxious voice of Staines. Actually, I'm now someone else, man, I replied, washing down more whiskey-soaked tic-tacs and pulling on a multicoloured headband I'd found in another pocket of the purple caftan. How'd you know I was here, Stansy? That's not important right now, but it is imperative you continue your mission. I won't be able to meet you here in the city to explain things, but if you can find your way to the previously planned destination, I'll explain everything in person when you get there. Sorry, Stain Man, man, I slurred, getting deeper into my hippie character. I've had a bad day and I'm thinking of changing my name to Raviwanka and retiring to an alternative lifestyle. I don't need this Stain shit, man. I mean, I don't need this shit manstain. I mean, fuck this shit. I don't need it. It's freaking me out, man. A written advert on the payphone backboard grabbed my attention when it began moving and changing colour. Mr Hogart, listen to me very carefully. "'I'm listening very care-freely,' I replied cheekily, suppressing laughter. "'Mr Hogart!' "'Mr Hogart won't be home until this evening, "'but if it's a complaint regarding his son, Beau, "'you have been placed in a queue.' "'Suppressed, high-pitched squeals of childlike laughter "'erupted from my mouth, nose and ear holes, "'and I collapsed onto my knees, "'leaving the telephone receiver dangling above my head "'like a mountain climber reaching out for a falling friend.' Catching my breath, I started singing, Oh, Mr. Sheen, oh, Mr. Stain, oh, Mr. Sheen, you're Mr. Stain, you're Mr. Stain there, Mr. Sheen. Mr. Hogarth, please. Your call is important to us, please hold the line. My suppressed, high-pitched squeals exploded into uncontrollable hysterical laughter, forcing me off my knees and onto my back where I was struck by a physical kryptonite-like weakness. Lou Staines' voice squirted from the dangling payphone as if he were a chubby little one-inch rubber man yelling through a pinhead-sized bullhorn. Mr Hogart! Mr Hogart! One Adam 12th one Adam 12. Be on the lookout for a Mr Hobogart, a Mr Bart Hobo, male Caucasian from Caucasia. Be very careful, he is armed and legged. I laughed so hard I nearly pissed myself. Sometime later, I realized I'd stopped laughing and was now studying my eyelashes while lying on the sidewalk. These purple tic-tacs need to be on tranquilizers themselves, I thought. Stainman's man's squeaky little hollering voice catching my attention. You're in grave danger, Mr. Hogart. I checked for any random graves, then staggered to my feet, suppressing another laugh attack. Please listen, Mr. Hogart. Your life depends on it. "'No! You tried to blow me up on a plane, Mr. Stane. "'Listen carefully,' said stern man Stainly. "'I was originally booked on that flight to Vegas, "'but I was being followed, "'so I had the ticket changed into your name at the last minute, "'after I hired you. "'It was more than likely me they wanted to incinerate, "'not you, Mr. Hogart. "'But you may have become of interest to them "'when you rang my phone from the airport.' I knew things were serious, but I couldn't stay focused on his negative energy. So I started singing. Imagine there's no stain, man. It's easy if you try. Please, Mr. Hogarth, try and straighten up. I'm the only friend you've got right now. Please, let me help you. I figured I should have been listening, but as I drifted deeper into the weird and purple-plexing world of tranquilized tranquility, it became clear that Tony's purple tic-tacs weren't tic-tacs at all. They were trip tacks. With friends like blah, who needs rah-rah? Oh, and I'm gonna need more cash. And lots of it. I've already transferred $50,000 into your bank account, Mr. Hogarth. Do not use it to book anything in your name, or believe me, you won't make it to your destination. That's impossible. You don't have my bank details, man. I'm very high up in the government, Mr. Hogarth. You'd be surprised. But all citizens' records are private and confidential. Of course they are, Mr. Hogarth. Of course they are. But I strongly advise you withdraw the money as soon as humanly possible. Because privately and confidentially, Mr. Boris Cornelius Hogarth, the people who are after you could seize it as quickly as I put it in there. Take out all the money I deposited and do it now. Your transaction records can be accessed by others, and if you withdraw the money halfway to your destination, there's a huge chance you'll get a speedy visit from a Scud missile on a lonely desert road. Listen, Mr. Whoever you are, I might just take the 50k and call it quits, because I'm just about over this whole damn fucking... You're a dead man walking, Mr. Hogart. Silence entered my head and its surrounding airspace. Look, Mr. Hogart, I haven't been totally honest with you. The fact is, even if we part company right now, you'll still be hunted. I'm afraid there's no turning back from here. I'm sorry, Mr. Hogarth. I'm desperate. But if you help me, I'll help you. And only then will you have a chance of survival. Alternatively, you can stick your head in the 50 grand in the sand and have your ass shot off. What's it going to be? Hmm, you'd better give me some time to think about that. Okay, I'm in. I was getting some insight into why my client was called Lou Staines. He was starting to stink, and I was going to need more than a toilet brush to get rid of him. Thank you, Mr. Hogart. That's a very wise decision. Don't call me again or they'll trace you. I'll organise a safe cell phone for you and call you from a secure line when you get to your destination. Good luck, and remember, don't forget... With that, the phone went dead. I was in nearly as much trouble as a dodo bird and by that I mean I was endangered and it was extinct. I desperately wanted to get into the bank but collapsing became my number one priority when I staggered sideways away from the payphone and into the side of the mural covered combi. Where I was buffeted by Jimmy and sent reeling headfirst into a lamppost that clanged in F sharp, sending me staggering backward across the road through the Teuton traffic and into a theme park called Dreamland, situated down south in Guttersville in the psychedelic state of unconsciousness. We have now reached the end of chapter three.